I didn't expect to be back so soon, but here I am. Um, obviously, let's keep on praying for Pastor Rich and Paula as they're making recovery, and I know it's hit a lot of people hard. Uh, after I left uh, two weeks ago, I got the flu. I thought the flu had gone away, but apparently not. It's back. So um, a lot of people that are just not feeling well, and I, I know there's a lot of folks online watching, and I pray that the message this morning will be an encouragement to you. Um, obviously, anytime I get up to uh, preach or present the Word of God, I want it to make a difference in people's lives. If it hasn't impacted me, then how in the world can I it, expect it to impact you? And so today, I want to talk about living a victorious Christian life. One of the things I mentioned two weeks ago, we talked about compassion for those who are in need. And another topic I think that we need to really focus on is not live, living a defeated life. You know, it's so easy to get, and even as Christians, we can forget about the power that we live in, the power that we have access to in not just the Word of God, but the Holy Spirit, God. And uh, we can start taking on the attitude of the people around us. And I'm looking at me when I say that, because sometimes we can start looking at the adverse circumstances. We can look at the, the stuff that's wrong, you know, the things we don't like, and we can start saying, yeah, it, it does, it's not good. And we can start kind of living kind of like down and frustrated and depressed. And I want to encourage you this morning that as Christians, if anybody in the world has a right to be happy and successful and victorious, it's men and women of God, boys and girls, people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you this morning to live in the victory that we have been promised. And how do we do that? I'm so glad you asked because we're going to do that this morning. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to look at a very familiar passage. But I want, I think it's really good to be reminded of things, especially when we're going through difficult times. And I would say maybe you're here this morning and you've had a rough week. And maybe last night you didn't get a lot of sleep. And uh, maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, God, I need to hear from you. I need something to hang my hat on, to cling to. Well, I'm hoping that this message, this passage, is going to be that very thing. Ephesians chapter 6, let's look in verse 10, where it says in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place. Does that sound familiar? It sounds really familiar. We're like reading today's newspaper. Uh, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, above all, take the shield of faith, which you, ha will, will be, uh, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Verse 19. And for me, 
that utterance may be given to me, that I may be able to open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. And Lord, I'm, I'm asking God that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst. And if there's anyone here today that's discouraged or frustrated or not looking forward to this next week, uh, Father, I pray that you would remind them of who they are. Remind them who they have living within them. Help us, Lord, today to recognize that we don't have to live defeated lives. We have the victory. And no matter how bad it gets in this world, we are still victors in you. And I ask God that you would just speak through me, that I can be that encouragement and that challenge to the individuals here today. It's not an accident that these folks are here today. And Father, I know we've got guests in our midst today, and I pray that you'd bless them and help us all by the end of this message, by the end of this service, to recommit and rededicate our lives to you, recognizing, God, that you have chosen us and you want to use us to fulfill your purposes in our lives. Thank you so much for this day. We ask, God, that you'd, you would use this message to be a blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are three things that I want to remind you of this morning uh, from this passage. Uh, that we, we need to know these things so that we recognize that we can be victorious in spiritual warfare. So there's three things. The first thing I want to remind you of is this. We need to know the power we fight in. We need to know the power we fight in. Look in verse 10. He says there in verse 10, this is Paul talking to the Christians at Ephesus. He says, finally, my brethren, he's talking to Christians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That is a fantastic reminder for us. Because we don't have any strength. We don't have any power. Our strength, I'm just going to say it out loud, the elephant in the room, our strength is insufficient to stand. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how handsome you are. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. And there's a lot of beautiful people in here. It doesn't matter how talented you are. Your strength is insufficient to meet the need. And I'm pointing at myself here today. We don't have it. We cannot be victorious if we're depending on our own strength. We know this because we live with ourselves. We are weak people. I have now been on a diet for 16 days. I don't know about you, I hate diets. But I went to my doctor about three weeks ago, just before Christmas, I guess, maybe longer than that. And she told me what doctors often tell their patients. You need to lose some weight. Yeah. And then I'm, and I, and I really struggle with this. This is my attitude. I'm looking at her, and I could say the same thing back to her. Doctor, you need to lose some weight. But I, that's beside the point. I received that message. And I realized 
I'm 58 years old here in a few months. I'll be 59. And if I don't drop some weight, I will be a prime candidate for more problems. I do not want more problems. So I will do what it takes and lose the weight. So hopefully the next time you hear me preach or see me, I will be a new slender me, or at least slimmer me. But what I'm talking about is when it comes to diets, we don't have a lot of um, strength because the thought is, poor me. I can't eat whatever I want. I can't help it that my body, when I turned 50, my metabolism went into a coma. I can't help that. (laughs) I smell food and I gain weight. Other people eat and I gain weight. So you realize how weak we are. You know yourself. I know me. We are weak. Listen to Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 17. Listen to these verses. I don't understand myself. This is Paul talking. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good, but I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. Does that sound familiar? It certainly sounds familiar to me because the good that I want to do, I don't do those things. The the bad that I don't want to do, I end up doing those things. And we can get to the point where we're so defeated and so frustrated because we're weak. So not only do we know that we're weak, the Bible tells us that we're weak. It warns us about being confident in our own flesh. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10, 12. This is what it says. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The moment you think you've got your act together got to be careful because that's when you fall. Because we don't do the things for God or in this life that honor him in our own strength. When we think we're somebody, stand by, we're not. We're nothing. Once you're turning your Bible to the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 7. You guys are familiar with this story. Uh, Joshua and the children of Israel have been called to conquer Jericho. Jericho was a superpower in that day. And not only were they a superpower, but they had this gigantic wall around Jericho that was impossible to get through. Yet God told Joshua and the children of Israel, take that city. And so immediately, if I were Joshua, I'd start start doing a head count. Okay, we got 30,000 soldiers for, you know, these guys are like elite. These are the Rangers. These are the Navy SEALs. And then we've got several thousand reserves. I'd be thinking that way. But that wasn't God's plan. He said, Joshua, here's the plan. I want you to get your priests. I want them to get the horns. And I want you to march around the walls of Jericho six days. And they blow that trumpet as they march around that. And the soldiers, you're not saying anything. You're there, but you're not saying anything until the seventh day. That seventh day, they marched around just like normal, blew the trumpets, and then they let out a shout. And God moved. You guys know the story. The walls came down. They went in, 
and it was a gigantic victory. Let's go to our passage now. Joshua 7. This is just after that tremendous victory. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, and on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. That's pretty normal. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Uh-oh. But let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. Now, get word that he's going right now. You know, you've got this gigantic victory. They've got, you know, they're all pretty, all pretty excited about that. And they're thinking, you know, that was really huge. This is small. We got this, God. We'll take care of this. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them down on the descent. Look at that last part. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Here you are. On the heights of victory, you've seen God do an amazing thing. And then you start doing your own thinking. My wife has told me in various times, hey, that's what you get for doing your own thinking. You know, So they're doing their own thinking. They think they'll give most of the people a rest. And they'll do this. And they're doing it in their own strength. And they had a ginormous defeat. I remember back, my wife and I were dating probably my third year, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was really discouraged because I was overwhelmed with schoolwork and working a job and trying to maintain my relationship with my girlfriend and serving the Lord and just a lot of stuff. And I remember one day we were going to the library to study. That was our pattern. And she asked me, what's going on? You seem down. And I said, you know, I've got all these issues and problems, and, you know, um, I, I just don't know what to do you know, how to handle all of it. And she asked me a fateful question. And she said, have you talked to God about it? I'm like, well, that's a novel concept. Talk to God. Um, and I will never forget my response. I don't want to bother God with my small problems. <laughs> it obviously made an impact on me because I remember it now these, what, 40, 45 years later. She said this. If it matters to you, it matters to God. Whatever problem you're facing this morning, big or small, if you care about it, he cares about it. Whatever it is, I encourage you to give it to God. Our strength to stand only comes from God. It only comes from God. There in verse 10, the word be strong literally means to receive strength. And not just one dose, but keep on receiving that strength. We get that strength. We receive it from our position in Christ. We receive it from the empowering of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts 8.18 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the end of the earth. So we receive uh, Power 
from and strength from our position, from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We also receive it from the Word of God. So if you're not reading God's Word on a consistent basis, you are living a powerless life. Listen to Matthew 4.4, and this is Jesus talking. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Satan. He's saying, you know, get thee behind me, Satan. He would, he would speak truth, God's word, to him. That was his, um, his weapon. That's our weapon as well. We receive power through our walk, daily, the daily practice of reading God's word. So, where are you today? As we talk about this power thing, you know, right now, we can feel pretty weak. Here we are in the middle of a COVID thing, and lots of people are sick, lots of people out, a lot of people missing work. Do you, are you aware of the need for the power that only comes from God? So the first point we looked at is we need to know the power in which we fight in. Number two, we need to know the enemy we fight against. We need to know the enemy that we fight against. And oh, by the way, it's not your spouse. Your enemy is not your boss. Your enemy is not your next door neighbor that drives you nuts. It's not one of your siblings or a parent or a grandparent or a child. The enemy, the enemy's identity is the devil. It's Satan. Our battle is not against a dictator or a derelict, not against flesh and blood. It's against Satan. Satan is behind the evil in this world. Sad fact, here it is. Most or too many Christians don't even believe in Satan. They don't believe that there's a real devil. And I think that's a major victory for Satan. Because if he can get us as Christians to live a life not acknowledging that they have an active enemy who never sleeps, that's a victory for Satan. Now, I don't believe in giving Satan any more due or any more credit than he deserves, but we need to acknowledge that he exists. We need to acknowledge that he is doing his stuff. It's unfortunate too many of us live without the knowledge that Satan is real. The devil is mentioned seven times, or actually in seven Old Testament books, in Genesis, 1 Chronicles, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah. The devil is mentioned, 19, mentioned in 19 New Testament books. Jesus Christ himself mentioned the devil some 15 times out of his own lips. I want you to know this morning that the devil is a real person. He possesses intelligence, according to 2 Corinthians 11, 3. He possesses a memory, according to Matthew 4, 1 through 11. He possesses a will, according to 2 Timothy 2, 26. He possesses emotions, according to Luke 22, 31. And then he possesses great organizational abilities, according to Ephesians 6, 12. So the enemy is the devil. The enemy's goal is our destruction. Don't not hear that. His goal is to destroy. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. 
1 Peter 5.8 says this, be sober, he's talking to Christians, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I mean, can it get any clearer than that? His stated goal is to destroy you and to destroy me. So, as I mentioned, Satan has a will, so Satan wants our marriages to fail. Did you hear that? Is it any wonder why we struggle so much in our marriages? We've got an active enemy trying to destroy them. You know, it's sad, but we look at the divorce rate, and it's about the same between secular marriages and Christian marriages. It's about 50%. One in two. That's horrific. That means that Satan is having a great victory there. He wants our marriages to fail. He also wants our families to fail. You know, how many kids and parents are estranged? How many children have, you know, kind of moved on from God and it breaks our heart? Satan is involved. He's engaged. He wants our churches to fail. Anything that God is doing, Satan is interested in messing that up. He wants you to fail. He wants me to fail. So our enemy's goal is our destruction. Then the enemy's strategy is deception. The word wiles that we found in our scripture means schemes. It carries the idea of craftiness. He's sneaky. You know, often, you know, TV, movies, they make fun of who Satan is and they present him as, you know, dressed in red, he's got horns, he's got a pitchfork, you know, maybe the tail that has the weird thing on the end. And that's not Satan. Satan is portrayed in God's word as an angel of light. It's beautiful. It's deception. He's the father of lies. He'll do whatever it takes to trip you up, whatever it takes to trip me up, unless we're aware, unless we're cognizant of what he's doing. He will win. Remember, we don't have any strength in and of ourselves. Satan makes sin look fun. Think about it. Anything that the Bible has classified as sin has an entertainment value. It's got a fun value. It's got a pleasure value. And the way Satan works is he makes it fun. He makes it pleasurable. And the words of the Bible are for a season. But the end result is destruction. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says this, But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, listen to these words, brings forth death. So we need to know the power we fight in. Number two, we need to know the, the enemy that we fight against. And then finally, number three, we need to know the equipment we fight with. We need to know the equipment that we fight with. Let's look in verse 14 of our passage. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your, your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith 
uh, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Those are our instruments that we've been given to be able to fight. It's important that Christians not leave any area unprotected so that Satan can't get a foothold. So Paul describes these seven pieces of armor here in Ephesians for our protection. Each part of this spiritual armor tells us what we must have if we're to be protected against Satan. You guys know I mentioned two weeks ago that uh, I was in the Navy as a chaplain. In 2010, I was in Afghanistan for almost a year. And one of the things that was really important was our gear. Some of you have been in the military. You know how important the gear is. It's, it's a hassle to put on. It's a hassle to take off. And if it's 110 or 120 degrees, it's miserable wearing it. But you've got body armor that you wear to protect you. And really, the armor focuses on the torso. Because if you get hit in the torso without any protection, guess what's going to happen? You're probably going to die. So the, most of the protection is around the torso to protect the, the core of us. And we look at some of this uh, protection here, and the focal point is also the core. But there's other stuff that we have. Helmet, which is important. Feet. All those things are important. But what I want you to know is that it takes intentionality to do it. So before my convoy would go out of the, outside the wire, we would take the time to put the body armor on, very uncomfortable, in order to minimize you know, the threat of harm. But you'd have to be intentional about it. And I'm going to encourage you guys to know that we've got to be intentional too. So let's take a look at these pieces of armor that God has given us. The first one is the belt of truth. The soldier wore a tunic of loose-fitting cloth. Since combat was largely a hand-to-hand combat back in those days, a loose tunic was a potential hindrance. So a belt was necessary to cinch up that loose-hanging material. The idea is that everything that hinders is tucked away. Listen to Hebrews 12, 1 says this, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now you can't tell by looking at me now, but back in high school I was a sprinter. That was about half of me ago. I was half the man I am now then. And... Um, what we would do in practice is we put the weights on our ankles. Those who run, you know what I'm talking about, like five or ten pound weights on our ankles and weights on our, our wrists. And we would run as we were practicing. We would run that. Those. But I'll say this, come game day, the day that we're going to run for real, guess what we took off? We took those things off. And I'm telling you, it made a huge difference because my body got used to those weights. When you take them off, man, you can fly at that point. And that's what we're talking about here. Those things that are holding you back, those things that are weighing you down, maybe that's sin, maybe that's uh, caustic relationships, just name whatever it is that's holding you back, causing you not to be able to be successful or be able to be victorious, get rid of that stuff. The Christian who puts on the belt of truth will not be tripped up by Satan and his lies. 
The second thing is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate was an important piece of equipment because it covered the soldier's torso, protecting his vital organs. Righteousness goes back to our consistent daily walk. The idea of our practice of matching our position in Christ. Obedience to God's word is crucial. If you know what is right to do according to God's word and you don't do it, the Bible says that's sin. If God tells us to do something and it's clear in his word and we don't do it, folks, that's sin. So we need to be obedient. A lack of obedience leaves us vulnerable to Satan's attack. Number three, the boots of the gospel. The Roman soldiers wore boots with nails in them. The boots gave them confidence that they would not slip in combat. The gospel brings peace with God and produces confidence that we have divine support, which allows us to stand firm. You don't realize how important your shoes are until your life depends on those shoes. Um, I know... Once again, in Afghanistan, my boots had steel toes. And that, they were heavy and they were uncomfortable. But man, stuff was falling all the time. You don't want unprotected toes because then you're out of the battle at that point. You're, you're down and out. So we're talking about protection, that um, security of knowing you've got good traction. Then the shield of faith. Paul, Paul places a strong emphasis on the shield. He says, above all. This was a large shield that the soldier was able to hide his entire body behind. And the oil-treated leather shields were able to quench the enemy's flaming arrows. The believer's continual trust in God's promises will protect him or her from the arrows of temptation and will quench the darts of unbelief. What about the helmet of salvation? The helmet protects the head, always a major target in battle. Paul is speaking to saved individuals here. And, and therefore, it's not speaking about attaining salvation, but more likely referring to the ultimate salvation, which we will see when Christ returns. First Thessalonians 5, 8 says this, But let us who are all, let us who are of the day be sober. There's that word again. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Do you realize that one of the major problems that Christians face is doubting their salvation? That's a major problem thing that Satan tries to do. He'll say this, something like this. Uh, let's say you've done something, you've faltered, you've sinned, and you'll hear in your ear a voice that sounds a lot like your voice, something to this effect, and you call yourself a Christian. You're not worthy. God, God has cast you out. You're no longer special to him. And the, the sad thing is we start believing that, and we start living like that. So we're talking about the helmet of salvation that protects us, gives us the assurance that we are his children. Satan seeks to destroy a believer's assurance of salvation. What about the sword of the Spirit? What is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Bible. It's our only offensive weapon. The sword was the soldier's only weapon. The Bible is the only thing we need to defeat Satan's attack. How do we know that? Look at what Jesus did. Every time Satan came to him in the wilderness and tried to tempt him to do something, he would quote Scripture. The Bible is infinitely more powerful than any of Satan's weapons. When Jesus was tempted, we know what, how he responded. We need to respond the, way, the same way. So my question is, how do you handle your sword? Are you familiar with it? Now, I know these days, 
we've got not just the Bible, but we also have the Bible on our phones as well. Whatever you're using, I encourage you to know it, to use it effectively. That's why we memorize scripture. You know, I'm so glad. I went to a Christian school when I was in high school. We learned a lot of scripture, and I still remember a lot of them, and I still quote them when I feel I'm under attack. And then the walkie-talkie of prayer. I think that's an interesting way to put it. Without a walkie-talkie, even the best-prepared soldier can get into trouble. If you don't have communication with your home base, with the, you know, the place where uh, superior officers are, then you're lost. You're not going to make it. Paul gives us insight on a soldier's prayer life. Soldiers pray frequently, and the word is they pray always. We need to be praying always. Soldiers pray in the spirit. Soldiers pray alertly, being watchful. And soldiers pray personally for every other fellow soldier. How are you handling your protection? The Bible connects our victory to this, our daily victory. We already have the ultimate victory. You know, obviously, we've read the end of the book and we win. So we know the ultimate victory, but we're talking about daily victory. How are you handling Satan's onslaught? We know that he's got a plan. He wants to destroy us. How are you responding? Are you discouraged today? Have you kind of just waved the red, not the red flag, but the white flag of defeat? My encouragement, my challenge to you today is this. Let's get back in the fight. Let's recognize that we have the victory, we have the power, and God wants to bless and use us to be a huge uh, blessing and encouragement to the people around us. So I challenge you with that today. Please recognize that we are in God's army, and we have a job to do, and if we're not doing our job, we're letting down the people around us. God has given us everything we need to live a victorious Christian life, We just need to get dressed, put the armor on, and use it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. Lord, I don't know who needed to hear this message today. I know I did. And I'm asking you right now, Lord, that you would challenge and encourage the individuals that are here today that might be discouraged They've looked around, they see the environment, they see the issues that they face, and Lord, they're just not doing okay. I ask God that you would just speak to their heart right now. Father, help them to realize, number one, you love them. Number two, we have victory. Help us, Lord, to live with that mindset. Lord, help us not to be defeated by the stuff that we see around us. Help us not to be discouraged by all the issues that we face. Help us, Lord, to recognize that you want to give us that victory. And Father, help us to recognize that and live in it and to be the blessing that we can and should be to the people around us. Father, we thank you for this passage and I pray that you would help it come back to our memory later today, later this week, whenever we need it, Lord, that we'll be reminded, God, that you want to give us the victory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.